0: section 1 of the national geographic magazine volume 8 april 1897 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org a summer voyage to the arctic by g r putnam united states coast and geodetic society among the scientific parties that assembled at sydney cape breton in july last for the purpose of paying a brief visit to the arctic under the leadership of lieutenant robert e peary u s n was one organized by professor a e burton of the massachusetts institute of technology of this party i became a member having been granted leave of absence by the superintendent of the coast and geodetic survey with the use of the necessary instruments to carry on magnetic and pendulum observations the destination of our party was umanak fjord in the northern part of danish greenland and several hundred miles within the arctic circle this fjord although of considerable interest has seldom been visited by exploring expeditions it is one of the largest on the greenland coast and contains some of the finest mountain scenery being the outlet of a group of glaciers of unusual magnitude it is also the home of the most prosperous of the greenland eskimo communities our voyage was but a summer trip to moderate latitudes devoid of the conventional arctic hardships and yet such a trip to greenland has the peculiar advantage that many of the most striking of arctic phenomena are either actually encountered or are easily accessible we sailed from sydney on july sixteenth on the steamer hope under the command of captain john bartlett an experienced arctic navigator the hope is one of the best of the newfoundland sealing and whaling fleet which is composed of strongly-built ships heavily timbered and sheathed for work in the ice and manned by hardy newfoundland sailors our course lay north along the east coast of cape breton and the west coast of newfoundland and then through the straits of belle isle where on the third day out we saw the first icebergs from this time on for over two months these arctic wanderers formed a part of every scene at first they were a constant source of interest because of their enormous bulk their varied outlines and their beautiful colouring changing from a marble white to a sky-blue or a delicate pink with an emerald green just below the surface of the water we amused ourselves by idealizing them turreted castles vast amphitheatres triumphal arches obelisks ships and animals being all represented in the magnificent procession of bergs which we passed some which i measured had a height of one hundred and sixty feet above the water and a length of eight hundred feet soon after leaving the straits we began to encounter floe ice through which we continued to steam for about seven hundred miles along the labrador coast which we closely followed this was a great stream of ice brought south by the labrador current and consisted of pans from a few feet to several hundred feet in diameter but generally so separated that the steamer could push her way through without difficulty in places however the effect of the wind had been to drive the pans close together and then our progress was extremely slow and indeed sometimes the ship was entirely stopped until a change in wind or tide caused the ice to loosen to break through barriers across our way it was sometimes necessary to back the ship and then go ahead at full speed using the prow as a ram the sensation of a ship striking and pushing these ice-pans was a little startling at first but we soon saw what the vessel could stand so that only an unusual bump that would rattle the dishes on the table and perhaps throw us off our feet would cause remark it took us a long time however to become used to the grinding of the ice against the sides of the vessel as we lay in our bunks at night while in this ice we had some extremely beautiful effects of the mirage one day when steaming along with only loose cakes about us we appeared to be surrounded by a perpendicular ice wall apparently cutting off all hope of progress but as we proceeded this phantom ice wall ever kept at the same distance from us near sunset the coloring on this mirage made an especially beautiful sight we sometimes saw three and even four perfect images of distant icebergs and islands one suspended above another some of these effects were fantastic beyond description frequently changing even while we were gazing on them although the ice impeded the progress of the ship it proved a blessing in disguise to those who were not good sailors as it had the effect of destroying the ocean swell thousands of newfoundlanders gather on the labrador coast each summer to fish many of their vessels we saw and at Turnevik, one of their little settlements we stopped a few hours it was while in the ice off cape chudley that we first saw polar bears in their native habitat a large white bear and two cubs were one day seen running over the pans not far distant from the ship and their curiosity caused them to come nearer and gaze at us they were nearly the color of the ice and running nimbly over the pans or swimming rapidly across the water spaces were a pretty sight a number of rifles were brought out and the large bear was killed after a desperate effort to escape a long chase followed for the cubs the injunction being to take them alive they were followed by boats and on foot over the ice and finally were taken the one captured first was left in charge of one of the cornell party to hold until the return of the boat as the cub although but a few weeks old would not have been a pleasant companion for one man on a small ice-cake our comrade holding to the line about the bear's neck kept him in the water and at a safe distance with a boat-hook and the struggles of the bear to get on the ice and of the man to keep him off furnished considerable amusement to those members of the party who remained on the ship the cubs were finally caged on the deck of the hope and remained our companions during the remainder of the voyage growing greatly in size but not the least in affection either for their captors or for each other they may now be seen at the national zoological park in washington the scenery along the labrador coast became more striking as we proceeded northward it is mostly a rocky bleak-looking shore treeless and barren indented with deep bays and fringed with islands in the southern portion the topography is low and its rounded outlines give every indication of the smoothing effect of glacial action just south of cape Judley. however the mountains fringing the shore attain a height of six thousand feet and in many cases have sharp rugged outlines passing into hudson strait the hope was soon clear of the ice after steaming over two hundred miles along the north shore we reached ash inlet on july twenty fourth here and on the mainland opposite two days were spent in exploration and investigation at ash inlet there was located some ten years ago one of a number of meteorological stations established by the canadian government for the study of the hudson bay and strait climate in connection with the practicability of regular navigation in this region a portion of the frame-house was found standing and it was the only sign of human habitation with the exception of a few traces of eskimo encampments a more bleak and desolate-looking region it would be difficult to imagine where the rock was not bare the scanty vegetation was not over a few inches high in this vicinity one of the ship's anchors was lost the chain being parted by a moving pan of ice and a whale-boat was injured by a southeasterly gale driving it on the rocks there is a tremendous tidal action in hudson strait the rise and fall at ash inlet being some thirty feet on this account the strait does not freeze solid in winter but becomes filled with an enormous ice-pack which moves back and forth and forms an impenetrable barrier to navigation the greater part of the year on the way out of hudson strait we had our first good view of the eskimo although we had seen a few of the race at Turnavik in labrador our first warning of their approach was a peculiar shrill call which travels over the water long distances it was some minutes before the initiated could discern the distant specks on the water which we were told were the eskimo men in their kayaks they rapidly approached and were taken on board boats and all the kayakers were soon followed by an umiak or large-skin boat filled with the remainder of the settlement including women children and dogs as well as nearly all their earthly possessions although their wealth seemed very meagre they appeared to be among the happiest of peoples their round fat faces simply beamed with good nature they were very anxious to trade the objects most highly prized being plugs of tobacco knives guns and copper coins the last mentioned they took in preference to silver their only use for either apparently being to sew on to the women's blouses as ornaments they were dressed in furs the men and women much alike except that the women's blouses had a long tail behind and a large hood or sack on the back in which the baby was carried their peculiar appetite was shown off by the relish with which they drank the contents of some cans of bear oil which the boys had been saving to grease their shoes with after passing out of hudson street an attempt was made to enter cumberland sound but the entrance was completely blocked with ice and our course was shaped for greenland in crossing davis strait we also crossed the arctic circle this event was celebrated by the firing of cannon and the hoisting of flags neptune came aboard in the person of one of the sailors who attempted to shave the uninitiated using a lather of engine grease and a ship's scraping iron for a razor our first view of the greenland coast was obtained near midnight on august first the high ice-capped mountains in the vicinity of Holstenberg, forming a beautiful scene in the arctic twilight the following day we landed at godhaven the capital of the danish inspectorate of north greenland and we were cordially received by the government officials the interior of the island of disco on which godhaven is situated is an elevated plateau averaging three or four thousand feet in height and covered with an ice-cap the passage through the remarkable channel east of Disco, called the Vigat, was a continual panorama of fine scenery. High mountains rose directly from the water on either side, with glaciers coming down between them and glimpses of the interior ice cap presenting themselves at intervals. The Vigat itself was so filled with enormous bergs that the ship had to wind its course among them. Entering Umanak Fjord on the night of August 4th, a most beautiful arctic midnight scene was spread out before us the sun dipped only about two degrees below the horizon at midnight so that after about an hour of glowing sunset there was bright sunshine again lying along the northern border of the fjord were the highest mountains in this part of greenland sharp cragged peaks of over six thousand feet to the eastward were groups of mountainous islands and between them could be seen the smooth white swell of the great interior ice cap of greenland to the south were the mountains glaciers and green foothills of noxawak peninsula and to the west stretched the open water of baffin bay while all around were the stately icebergs proceeding from the great glaciers at the head of the fjord the hope left our party at umanark the principal settlement of the district which was to be our headquarters for several weeks and where the vessel was again to return for us after its trip further north the village is situated on an island which though only about three miles in length has in its centre a mountain nearly four thousand feet in height a most remarkable shaft of rock from which the name umanak being the eskimo for heart-shaped is derived the village consists of about one hundred and fifty eskimos and three danish families we found these danish officials and their families most intelligent and hospitable people they are almost entirely cut off from the rest of the world only receiving news from europe two or three times during the short summer during ten months they are completely isolated and for two months they do not see the sun in the management of their possessions in greenland and of the native races the danes have followed a plan unique in the world's history between cape farewell and upernivik said to be the most northern civilized settlement in the world there live about ten thousand eskimos scattered in villages along the coast they are divided into twelve districts of which umenak is commercially the most important in each district there are usually a governor an assistant governor having charge of commercial affairs and a lutheran pastor in care of religious and educational matters but beyond these and a few minor officials in charge of sub settlements no danes or other foreigners are allowed to settle in greenland the whole is under the direction of the royal greenland board of trade a government bureau in copenhagen which has a monopoly of the trade in greenland supplies are sent out annually in nine ships which bring back the products of the region to denmark european goods are furnished to the eskimos at but a slight advance over cost price and they are paid amounts fixed in advance once in five years for the furs oil ivory etc which they bring in all other trade along this coast is prohibited and vessels are not allowed to even enter the greenland ports except by special permission or in distress the idea has been to protect the natives in their rights and pursuits as well as in their morals the arrangement is not a profitable one to the danish government the loss on the greenland trade during recent years being said to have been as much as one hundred thousand dollars annually almost every village is provided with a church and a school and the language taught is not the danish but that spoken by the natives themselves the great majority of the eskimos can read and write and are nominally if not actually christianized such a policy could hardly have been carried out in any region less isolated than Greenland whether or not their contact with civilization has been beneficial to the greenlanders it is probable that the continuance of the danish system is their only salvation for if the danes were to withdraw the wealth of this region in fisheries and hunting would soon attract a population that would so far interfere with the life and pursuits of the eskimos as to cause their early extinction those greenland eskimos although they have been in contact with civilization for two hundred and fifty years and are largely intermixed with foreign blood have retained many of their original modes of life the more pure-blooded are an intelligent looking people with smooth round features and frank open countenances they are short in stature and have straight black hair they ordinarily live in flat-roofed houses built of rocks and turf often containing but a single room with a sleeping bench at one end and a long low entrance for keeping out the cold in winter in summer they often live in tents moving from place to place they hunt the seal walrus narwhal reindeer bear and smaller game birds and fish with which the region is stocked by far the most important of these to them is the hair seal called by them puisse many varieties of which are found on this coast the skin is used for clothing boat covering and tents the blubber for fuel and illuminating oil and the flesh for food the highest ambition of a young eskimo is to become a successful seal catcher for this pursuit they have developed some of the most ingenious appliances ever invented by a primitive people in the summer they use the kayak a skin boat which is a model of ingenuity lightness and gracefulness with these small frail boats sometimes not over eighteen inches wide they do not hesitate to go out into open water and to attack large animals such as the seal or walrus the more expert can perform remarkable feats the most astonishing of which is for the kayaker to turn completely over boat and all and right himself again without getting out of the kayak and without getting a drop of water into it he wears a waterproof shirt tied closely about the small opening in the deck in which he sits and rights himself with a dexterous use of his double-bladed paddle in addition to the rifle which is now generally used his main weapon is a harpoon having a detachable point which remains in the seal after it is struck Attached to this point by a long line is an airbag which floats on the surface and enables the kayaker to follow the seal in its struggles. In winter, the northern Greenlander depends on his dogs and sled for transportation. The Eskimo dogs are his only domestic animals, and every village is filled with them. On smooth ice, great distances can be traversed in a single day, speeds of 16 miles an hour being attained. In Umanac Fjord, the sledging lasts more than half the year the season in 1896 not ending until july the eskimos are a childlike gentle race they are honest and remarkably free from brawls and disputes jails and constables are entirely lacking in danish greenland the very simple local affairs are regulated by district councils composed of the leading natives and the danish officials who meet twice a year the language is most peculiar and difficult for a stranger to master it is composed almost entirely of nouns and verbs and by suffixes and affixes to these the other parts of speech are formed it is possible to express the meaning of a long english sentence in a single word but some of these are forty letters in length the investigations of rink have shown that the more familiar words are common to all the eskimo peoples thus proving their common origin he estimates that there are about thirty thousand eskimos of whom one-third live in danish greenland one third in alaska and the remaining in northeastern siberia the northern portions of north america and a few in greenland beyond the danish dominions from Umnak, several trips were made in small boats to the great glaciers at the head of the fjord the largest of these is Karajak. the face of this glacier from which the bergs break off into salt water has a width of about four miles a height above the water of over two hundred and fifty feet and in the center moves with a velocity of from twenty to thirty-five feet per day a single iceberg breaking off from this glacier has been estimated to contain twenty four million cubic yards of ice at the price usually paid for ice for domestic purposes in the united states the ice in such a berg as this would be worth over one hundred million dollars at another glacier itivtliarsuk we saw a great mass three hundred feet long break from the face the crashing and thundering noise that resulted the surging of the berg until it found its equilibrium in the water and the dashing of the waves on the beach with spray in places one hundred feet high or more made an impressive scene in the narrower fjords, the calving of a large berg will sometimes cause a tidal swell that will raise the water twenty feet the surface of a glacier near its front is usually a mass of jagged pinnacles with deep crevices between looking up the slope of the great ice river the surface becomes smoother and finally back on the distant horizon one sees the apparently smooth white plain of the ice-cap a climb to the summit of a three thousand foot mountain near the itivdliarsuk glacier gave us some idea of this great ice-cap and the glacial work along its edge as far as the eye could reach to the north south and east extended this smooth white field of ice sloping up from the sea-coast and with a horizon line as level as that of the ocean at regular intervals along its edge could be seen the crevicing at the heads of the glaciers which were themselves cut off from view by the intervening mountains at our feet the course of the ice river was spread out before us winding through the mountain valleys and around the nunataks or peaks projecting through the ice from each of which it drew out a long moraine of rock debris the interior ice-sheet covers the whole of greenland with the exception of a narrow fringe along the coast it rises to elevations of from eight thousand to ten thousand feet in the center and the enormous pressure of the accumulating snow presses out the glaciers through every opening in the bordering mountains that this ice-sheet was once more extensive than it is now is proved by the rounded outlines and glacial scratches found on nearly all the coastal mountains on the other hand the climate of greenland must at one time have been very much warmer in the vicinity of umanak Fjord, coal deposits are found and fossils of such semi-tropical trees as the fig and magnolia notwithstanding the nearness of the ice-cap the present climate of greenland is much milder than that of the opposite side of davis strait in the fjords, the summer climate is moderate and pleasant we found light winter clothing comfortable but nothing more was needed wherever there is soil there is an abundance of wild flowers and grasses but we found no trees a curious meteorological fact is that the foam wind which blows directly off the ice-cap always brings the warmest weather the usual explanation being that this heating of the wind is due to its sudden descent from the elevated interior to the low coast the hope called for us at umanak on september ninth and our homeward voyage followed much the same course as our outward one the only severe storm we encountered was in crossing davis street off cape mercy the hope was caught in an ice-pack in which she was held for three days with the change of wind the ice loosened and the ship was slowly extricated reaching open water in cumberland sound two days were spent in the vicinity of blacklead island this is a scotch whaling station and the settlement consists of three or four europeans and a large number of eskimos the system obtaining here is a sort of feudal one without government control the natives work for the management in return for which they receive european supplies no money being used from this point two passengers were brought back to america one an english missionary who had been working among the eskimos and the other a dane who had charge of an american whaling station further south the latter brought with him the whalebone taken from a single whale the whalebone weighing something over a ton and being valued at more than ten thousand dollars both of these men who had spent years in this bleak cold country expressed regret at leaving it and the hope of returning soon the voyage from cumberland sound was without incident save some beautiful auroral displays at night and we landed at sydney on september twenty sixth all the forty-eight persons constituting the passengers and crew returning well and without accident some investigations in two lines of terrestrial physics were carried out by the writer in connection with the work of professor barton's party at each of the stopping places where time permitted magnetic observations were made determining the deviation of the compass needle from true north the dip of the dipping needle and the force of the earth's magnetism two of the stations were near enough to the magnetic north pole of the earth to cause the dipping needle to stand within six degrees of the vertical the greenland stations were so well to the east of the magnetic pole that the compass needle pointed more nearly west than north the horizontal magnetic force in these regions is very weak on account of the great dip so that magnetic disturbances caused considerable changes in the needle a change of over four degrees being noted in a single day at one point for the same reason the ship's compasses were irregular a comparison of these results with early magnetic observations made in these regions clearly indicates the direction of change at present going on at all the stations from halifax nova scotia to umanak greenland the westerly declination the dip and the total magnetic force are all diminishing at several points also pendulum observations for the measurement of the force of gravity were made this force increases from the equator to the poles and following the theorem of the french mathematician Clarence, the amount of flattening at the poles of the earth may be computed by comparing the force of gravity at different latitudes by a well-known law the time of oscillation of a pendulum will be proportional to the square root of the force of gravity so that by comparing the time of oscillation of the same pendulum at different places the relation of the force of gravity may be obtained comparatively few such observations have been made in high latitudes where they have great weight in the problem of the figure of the earth end of section 1